1: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny.
0: We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France.
2: It is indeed, and hour number two is underway. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being with us on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, thanks to Congressman Jim Jordan, we're gonna we're gonna really push on this, and I don't mean that to be in a disrespectful way, but we're gonna push Congressman Jordan <clears throat> uh, to talk about uh, getting that uh, those. It's not just about getting the tapes or the links, I should say, to. Uh, True the Vote and the other uh, Open.Inc uh, organizations that can apply AI to it to follow individuals around to make sure who really was innocent and did nothing on uh, January 6th and who were the ones who deserve some sort of punishment or some uh, accountability for what they did. Because the links are available, but 44,000 of them spread out over 20 or 30 links the way that they did. Trying to put things together and to piece them together is not not possible with just you know human beings. Uh, technology needs to be our friend here. Technology needs to be put to work here. Uh, and that's what AI, you know, if you're ever going to use AI for something positive, it should be for something like this, I think. Um, and uh, they can they can apply all of that and pump it into the servers and then apply AI and follow individuals around based on any number of different patterns uh, and algorithms and so forth. So it's really important. and We're going to follow up on that. All right, I want to pivot now. And by the way, it's hour number two on this Monday, the 20th morning of the 11th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. I read a really good article this morning. It was in my inbox because I'm smart and I subscribe. I'm, not, I'm smart for subscribing is what I mean to say to Linda Harvey's uh, Mission America newsletter. And you should do so as well. Uh, it's available at info at missionamerica.com. And uh, Linda Harvey is a former English teacher. We share that in common. So she was very interested to write about the National Council of Teachers of English that met in Columbus uh, between November 15th and November 21st to take a look at what is uh, what is being taught to our kids in their English classes. And Linda Harvey is kind enough to join us now on AM 1420. The answer to tell us what it was. Linda, good morning. How are you?
3: I'm great, Bob. I'm glad to be with you this morning.
2: It's always a pleasure to talk with you. We learn so much whenever you come on because you do the work. You do your homework, you do the research, and you, uh, you always come with receipts uh, that, uh, that back up your opinions. So let's talk about this event. First of all, it was in Columbus. Was there any particular reason why the National Council of Teachers of English met in Columbus, or was it just uh, they move around from year to year?
3: Well, I think they just move around from year to year. I don't have any information about that. Next year, they're going to be in Boston. So, okay. um, but yeah, they were in, they were in Columbus, and uh, boy, we should be ashamed in Ohio that this group chose our state to display the most e- egregious kinds of uh, radical politicalism that they're bringing into our uh, classrooms
2: well yeah that's the reason for the discussion um first tell us who this group is you know because i i tend to think well it's an organization of english teachers is it like a teachers union or is it some sort of you know what what is what is the purpose of this uh, the existence of this group
3: well this is like many of the professional groups that you get you know in in uh, the teaching professions that i'm sure a lot of these same people are members of the nea the oea and all of that this group can provide liability insurance, uh, which is one of the main reasons people join these groups, um, but it's, you know, they also give professional education credits, so you can go to this these incredibly outrageous workshops and get, you know, continuing education credits to keep up your teacher licensure, and when you read about this, it just breaks your heart because um, the things that we think English teachers ought to be focused on, you know, improving Reading proficiency. Here we are in Ohio. We've got virtually all of our major cities are well below fifty percent reading proficiency in eighth grade. Kinds of things that you, I'm sure, your listeners just you can just imagine. And we'll go through some of that. I'm sure mm-hmm. that they focus on are, are just outrageous. But there are twenty five thousand members nationally, and they they a wide uh, span of people who teach English from pre K through graduate school. So you get a lot of the nonsense that's in the uh, the at the university setting that's influencing the teachers, the K-12 through 12 teachers.
2: We're talking to Linda Harvey, who is the director of Mission America. You should follow her and, uh, and make sure you subscribe to the newsletter of Mission America. MissionAmerica.com is how you can do that. Let's start with the name of this event, this convention, Connections, but not spelled like you and I would spell Connections. C O N E X I O N E S connections twenty three. What does that mean?
3: Oh, conexiones. Uh, That's it. The Spanish word for connections. And this is the National Council of Teachers of English. I mean, you know how, <laughs> how, why how had pretentious to do that. are we? No, how pretentious oh. can we be? They are desperate to get away from the English language mm. heritage of America. They want to everything every other word in this in their you know thousands it seemed like hundreds at least over a thousand presentations was deconstruct this uh, you know, um, disrupt this, everything about equity, whiteness is everywhere through here and of course it's not a good thing. So they start out with this pretentious little um, little title, but yeah, So National
2: Council of the Teachers of English choose a Spanish word, not an English word. uh, In a country, by the way, where, as you point out in the beginning part of your article, um, eighth grade reading proficiency in our biggest cities is well below half. Well below 50% of them are reading a grade level English. And uh, yet here we are focusing on things like Spanish. Why? As you point out, for diversity, inclusion, and equity. I want to uh, advance to the racial component of the diversity here. because, And I'll read uh, just one line that you wrote. Uh, There's no doubt America's children uh, and college students will nevertheless suffer if teachers adopt the propaganda learned at the NCTE. Among the workshops offered uh, for professional development were white teacher work, our res our responsibility to address racism as those who benefit from it so in other words you don't have to be a racist but if you benefit from racism you have to do something about it ideas and actions from the field reckoning with our white privilege how on earth is this supposed to advance the reading level of our of our students um, you know who are being instructed by these English teachers
3: Right, and and what you what you get throughout here is the idea, clear idea that they believe their mission is to create political activists among their students. They need to transform ideas. They're not about, uh, you know, phonics. They're not about, you know, developing your writing skills, you know, creative writing, the kinds of things you and I probably dealt with when we were and was our focus when we were English teachers. No, they want to transform attitudes. They're very very. of uh, critical race theory it's throughout here there was another workshop that i noticed um it's called reckoning with the whiteness of english presenters um disrupting white supremacy in various case group 12 language arts contexts so that it's just throughout uh, are, are, are they suggesting there, the
2: are, are they suggesting that um being proficient in english is is a sign of white supremacy is that what this means
3: well, that's where they're going with this. That's where the whole profession is going because there was another one, uh, another uh, 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 workshop on, you know, the disrupting the colonizing of grades. Grades, you know, you're you're a colonizer if you focus too much on grades. They even want it to be student led. Can you imagine student led grading? You know, even though I was a pretty good student and I thought I was honest, I would have said, oh yeah, I deserve all A's. I mean, what? What child wouldn't? And so that's that's where they're going. You know, abolishing grades, it is insanity. We're in anarchy in our schools. And this is supposed to be, I mean, if this was, you know, the Marxist teachers of English, you might, you know, understand, this is supposedly the highest pinnacle of their profession. This is what we get. And I went through all of these hundreds of workshops. It was page after page. And I've got the link in the article. People can do that for themselves. And you did find a few sane-sounding workshops about literacy and phonics and, you know, uh, uh, writing skills, but there were very, very few. It was mostly politics.
2: As much Linda Harvey, director of Mission America, as I would like to gloss over this one, I can't in good conscience. People need to know that this is what the National Council of Teachers of English covered, one of the workshops, in their, in their convention of November 15th to the 21st in Columbus, Ohio. Our blood is beautiful. Shattering cycles of shame, stigma and silence to create space for stories of menstruation. Join educators and middle grade BIPOC women and non-binary authors to discuss the need for books on taboo topics like menstruation. Linda, tell me what in the living hell that has to do with teaching English to anybody.
3: Right. This, these are radical, probably uh, heavily uh, LGBTQ folks that hate men. They love their bodies. They want to focus on the uh, – they love, quote, unquote, their bodies. They want to focus on the minutiae of, of, and the, the degree of being a human. And this is hardcore feminism uh, where – you know they're just very self interested and self focused, and it's um, it, this takes no one anywhere good. You know this is not good for our girls, and certainly it has, what does this have to do with English? Nobody cares about this. The the number of people who care about this, even women, is you know in the point zero zero percentages, and so you know th- this is somebody's idea of allowing a voice and a platform to these idiots quite frankly, and people getting uh, credit for this. You know, this is not where any school should be sending their teachers. They should not. No one should pay any teacher to go to this to this uh, convention or any of the other professional conventions that are out there um, that focus on the same kinds of things. I think we would find this at many of the teaching uh, professional groups right now.
2: You know, Linda, I wonder if we can even call them hardcore feminists. I mean, is it really truly feminists? feminist to for for women to say men are just the same as us and they can menstruate too that which makes us uniquely female that makes us uniquely women that makes us special and empowering us being who and what we are the men can be just like us if they say so
3: well that's another aspect of this and you know and why why do they have Uh, BIPOC, you know, that's, uh, you know, people of color, you know, black, indigenous people of color, who cares what color they are? We're women. We all share this. We actual women, not phony women. And, you know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's insanity. You know, you go through here and you think these people are insane. The, The vast majority of the people who are writing these presentations and the presenters, each one of these workshops, Bob, had most of them have four or five papers underneath it that were submitted ahead of time. And it wasn't just one person who stood up there. This, these were uh, peer-led and peer-reviewed and approved ahead of time. That makes it even more egregious.
2: Yeah. So this wasn't just some radicals going rogue and uh, doing this thing. This is exactly what they wanted. This is peer reviewed and these uh, these presentations were greenlit by the uh, the I guess the executives or the board or whatever you want to call it of the uh, NCTE. Um, One of the big issues that continues um, to be discussed uh, as it pertains to the indoctrination and particularly with the LGBTQ stuff is the quote unquote book banning. Um, As a matter of fact, down in Florida, we all know that uh, Governor Ron DeSantis led the charge to ban certain pornographic literature from Florida classrooms, worked with the State Board of Education, and pornographic literature is not allowed. Literature and illustrations and so on and so forth is not allowed. Um, The rock singer or the pop singer or whatever she calls herself, Pink, is pushing back on this now. She's one of the public people who is giving away the books that they have banned in Florida at her concerts to make sure children can see them so at this workshop I'm with the band I'm sorry I'm with the band strategies for bringing banned books into the classroom are they saying at the National um, uh, uh, Council of Teachers of English that they want pornography in our American classrooms
3: apparently so I mean they can't be unignorant about the content of these books you know some of the books are not uh, obscene, the ones, the, they featured eight books in this workshop, uh, but most of them are. Some of them are explicitly anti-police, anti-American, anti-white, and all of that the Black Lives Matter ridiculous curriculum or ridiculous agenda, but many of them are obscene, and uh, they they apparently think that's okay, and the, the problem is, is that they are saying we're going to bypass If if this is taken out of the school library, we're going to bypass the librarian um, filter and bring it into the classroom, have a little shelf there, and urge kids to read these and even study them. So it becomes very important for parents to go beyond the school board, beyond the library, and make sure you know what is actually in your child's specific class because they're okay with, I guess, and I have to say this too, but oral and anal sex and body fluids, and all the stuff that's in these books that they think this is part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Pornography is not diversity. It's pure trash. You can make the points, if you want to make points, about diversity and equity and use no obscenity. How about people start supporting books like that? But, but Bob, the, the key on this is that the big thing that, you, that comes through here is lots of these workshops were accompanied by publisher representatives, and lots of the big names, Scholastic, Penguin, Random House, were all there as mm-hmm. supporters. I think this group is probably bought and paid for by the publishers, and they want to publish obscene material, and they can get it passed, if they can get it passed, libraries and parents, it it sells. You know, this is, this is a really easy uh, uh, thing to watch because follow the money. I mean, that may be where we're going.
2: I think you're right. It is Linda Harvey, director of Mission America. And uh, it's it's just so it's so repugnant that they are essentially using LGBTQIA plus to advance this. And, and what I mean by that is. If they just published or wanted, if Random House and Penguin and all the rest were publishing books about straight sex, straight pornographic imagery, and straight relationships and so forth that were simply just inappropriate because they're pornographic, inappropriate for age level, inappropriate for schools, really, all the way up through 12th grade, quite frankly. Um, But, but if they published those, no one would be arguing that they should be on the shelves. But if they feature gay sexual relationships and gay sex acts and gay, you know, lessons on how to do these things. Now, if you push back against the pornographic aspect of it, no, 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 You're a homophobe. You're a transphobe. You're, you know, you're a bigot. And, And so they use that. Um as an attack, as a way to, to advance their agenda. And also, as you say, uh, to make money, these, uh, these, uh, these, these publishing houses are using these groups like the English teachers saying, Hey, we have to push back against everybody. We'll call them bigots and phobes in order to make sure we can keep putting our stuff into your classrooms.
3: Well, right. And what they do is they combine two different of these, you know, these supposedly marginalized groups, which are not their you know, uh, races it should not be even on the table, skin color, but they will put that in into a book and they do have some where where it's heterosexual kids but they will almost always be kids of color. You know so they'll, they'll get you one way or another so they can accuse you when you object to it of either the LGBTQ thing that you're you know homophobic and all that which I have no problem with banning homosexuality and gender confusion from before our children. We we should be limiting that greatly, and especially Christians need to stand up and say that. But the other kinds of sexuality is in there, too, but then they'll combine that with a racial issue. So they've got you somewhere along the line, and the publishers know this. Of course, the people writing all this are are often very clever because they want their books to sell.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the teachers have sold out. The teachers' unions, we've known for a long time now, professional organizations within education and academia are doing it as well. Uh, The National Council of Teachers of English. Read this article at missionamerica.com, and uh, make sure that you sign up for the uh, newsletter that I get in my uh, email every time. Uh, There's a new one. You can do the same thing at missionamerica.com and follow Linda Harvey. Linda, thank you for what you do, for shining a spotlight on all of this, um, uh, this, I don't even know what to call it, debauchery that is uh, invading our classrooms. While our kids struggle to read at grade level, we're pushing this kind of crap on them, and it's just—it's important that parents know what's going on and maybe consider that homeschool option. Linda, thank you so much. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again.
3: Well, thank you, Bob, and happy Thanksgiving to you.
2: And to you as well. Thank you. That's a good way to lift a conversation that is very negative into a positive. Happy Thanksgiving. 1026, take a time out. Always write radio on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we are plowing our way through. Let's push that button to take that echo out, if you would. Thank you. It's 1035. We're going way through this Monday morning, so we go from the indoctrination in the uh, educational centers, the government-run schools, to, um, well, the stripping of our Second Amendment rights by police. Wait, what? If you didn't hear the circumstances surrounding the November 6th incident in uh, central Los Angeles, California, involving a homeowner named Vince Ricci or Ricci, I'm assuming it's Ricci. I'm giving it the Italian uh, pronunciation of the double C there. Um, you need to hear about it, and then we need to talk about what happened after that. Vince Ricci was um, a homeowner who did exactly what our, our Constitution provides us with the opportunity and the right to do, and that is to defend himself, his property, and his family against attacks. And he did so with his firearm. He had just pulled into his gated driveway, was walking to the front door when masked robbers jumped over a wall. Video shows one of them charging at him with a gun as he goes to open his front door. The homeowner, Mr. Ricci, immediately drops his keys and his beverage and pulls out his concealed handgun and opens fire on the intruders who ran away while returning fire. Sounds like a pretty good story of exactly why we have our Second Amendment rights, right? and if the story ended there it would be but of course it does not inevitably what happens is officials with the los angeles county sheriffs department confirmed that this man was going to be losing his firearms he was no he was going to lose his right to defend himself so that the next time the robbers come well then they'll have a uh, you know uh, a little bit of an easier time victimizing the people who live in that home this is simply incredible joining us now to talk about this is the executive director of Ohio Gun Owners, Chris Doerr, back with us on AM 1420? The answer. Chris, good morning.
1: Good morning. I, I think they should have given the guy a freaking medal, a uh, citizen of the year award, uh, but increasingly we just see this kind of treatment in all too many cities across the country where they come in. It's kind of the Bolshevik rev- Revolution, right? The Bolsheviks unleashed their criminal class upon the law abiding. Uh, for the specific purpose of demoralizing the public so that that the public couldn't resist the Bolshevik consolidation of political power. it's exactly what we're seeing right here. Uh, And and back then, it was the the law-abiding that were sentenced to the gulag. I think that's what we're seeing right now, right here today. This guy should be given a medal.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. That's a, that's a great comparison. By the way, I'm so glad you said Bolshevik, because I thought you were going to say something else, which would have been equally appropriate in this situation. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, um, indeed. So, so they stripped his um, his concealed carry permit for, for using his concealed carry weapon on his own property, defending himself and defending his property and his family against armed intruders. And they take this away. I mean, I'm looking for justification of any kind. I know I'm not going to agree with it, Chris, but have you even heard anything that the sheriffs have said that said, this is why this is the right move to uh, move to make?
1: Uh, no, they've they've not given anything other than, well, this we're just going to follow our standard uh, investigative procedures and everything. But, you know, this, this goes well beyond, you know, the carry laws of any given state. This man is right there on his own property. Mm-hmm. So castle doctrine should apply in this instance. On the other side of the locked door was his five-month-old daughter and his wife and their nanny, and so that guy had no other choice than to use deadly force in, in response to the deadly force that was already used on him to protect his wife, kid, and employees. So um, there is absolutely zero justification for this. But all you got to do is look at what's going on in Los Angeles County with this district attorney they've got out there. It's another George Soros-funded uh, district attorney. Uh, his guy's name is George Gaskin. He's got a 10,000-case backlog in Los Angeles County. Uh, Because all of the good prosecutors left his office because they adopted the woke um, policies of letting the criminals loose on the citizenry. Um, So they're not investigating real crime. What the sheriff's department, I guess, has been relegated to is going around punishing law abiding people because they can actually find out where they live. Um, There's there's zero justification for this. This guy honestly should be given a citizen of the year award to encourage this type of behavior since the police clearly aren't able to do their job anymore.
2: If we're talking to Chris Storr, the executive director of Ohio Gun Owners, one of the most knowledgeable people in the Second Amendment, I think, in America, not just the state of Ohio. And I mean that, Chris. That's why I love having you on Dr. Gorka's show when I do. Um, <clears throat> what would his um, his options be if they do not restore his rights and give him his concealed carry? And he, here's the other thing I I, I kind of feel like, because you're right, Castle Doctrine should apply. It's on his property. He's not even carrying it in public. Um, but but so they took his concealed carry permit. I don't know if they actually took his firearm or not, but I would hope he has a firearm or two that the government doesn't know about. Because guess what? um, You know, the, these thugs, these criminals, what's to say that they're not livid, that somebody dared defend himself and they're going to come back to try to take him out again? Is he going to be left without a way of defending himself while they while they work through whatever kind of garbage they're working through?
1: Yeah, yeah you got a, a couple of great points there, So. First of all, I guess his his carry permit did come into play because he was returning from the gym uh, early that morning. Mm-hmm. So if he was not carrying on his person, he would not have been able to take the defensive actions that he took. Um, you know, I, I don't think they uh, confiscated his firearm. Uh, he still probably possesses that firearm. It's probably going to be. Uh, at his house uh, until he gets uh, that restored to him, or at least there's a chance of it. And he has every expectation uh, that those people will come back because the night before they hit his neighbor's house, Uh, they they broke into his own house previously this year and uh, in his car earlier that month. So uh, the criminals are targeting these people very deliberately what are his options hold on before no. you answer
2: the options i want to make sure i did not hear this part of it so hold on so his home had already been broken into one time before this event and they had broken into his car as well so he's very much a target as well as the other people in his neighborhood or maybe on a street to the criminal community I, I, I did not know that yeah
1: yeah so uh,
2: <laughs> so, so this is the guy it, it, i mean i i wonder and i don't know this maybe maybe all of this will come out and In further iterations of this story, Chris, but I wonder if he was armed before that. I wonder if the fact that his home had been targeted once before made him go get his first firearm. I wonder if the fact that his car was broken into made him go get his first firearm. He might be, you know, he might be just reacting. I don't even know if he's a lifetime gun owner.
1: Well, those are all very plausible questions, and in fact, like you can see, looking back at the number of NICS checks that have been run consecutively month to month uh, for the last well several years. It's the normal and reasonable response to go out when you see increasing lawlessness uh, to go out and purchase yourself a firearm if you don't have one already. This guy's entire neighborhood is being targeted by the criminal class. It would make total sense if he didn't have one already uh, to go out and, and buy one, and maybe this is his first time you know, actually carrying it. Who, who knows? I don't know the answer to those questions.
2: But, um, but, but they're important considerations because, because – If he's a lifetime gun owner, you know, long time gun owner, he's just, you know, a very protective guy, super, he did his job. But particularly if a lot of people are not until they've been targeted, until they or someone close to them has had an encounter, has had an intruder or some violent crime committed either against them or someone that they know that they say, you know what, I'm not going to put myself in a position. This is precisely what the Second Amendment is for. Whether he is a long time guy or a new gun owner because of violent crimes, how dare law enforcement get in his way of protecting himself.
1: Did you did you hear the excuse that the sheriff's office gave for revoking his permit itself?
2: No, I didn't. That's the reason they, I asked you if you had heard anything because I haven't seen okay. anything yet. The,
1: the reason they gave was that he shouted at the sheriff's department investigators when they were at his home uh, for for doing what he considered to be sloppy police work in the course of their investigation like he pointed to the fact that they left shell casings on the ground. As evidence that he thought they were doing shoddy work, and so their reaction was to turn around and yank his uh, concealed carry permit. So. What?
2: <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. so—in other words, their feelings yeah. got hurt. Their feelings got hurt. I mean, yes. essentially, yes. right? Because he criticized them. Is that literally why they said, "Then we're gonna, we're gonna come for you"?
1: Yes, and you can't criticize uh, the uh, the established order or the narrative. So unbelievable.
2: Okay, I asked well, you a few minutes ago about options. Um, so, yeah. what what can well, he do now? And there's just
1: so legally, he's going to have to hire a lawyer, um, but and and I don't have any other solutions for it other than that. But here's the other thing I want people to consider, and maybe we don't have this problem specifically in Ohio because we've been doing a lot of good work to Ohio's laws. But people like this guy here in California, and there's stories like this in in Soros-run DA counties all over the country now. America was founded by people who got sick and tired of the king's agents raiding their stores every season of harvest. Um, and he, those people just decided at some point, you know what, it's time to pick up and move. We were This idea of America was founded by pilgrims. People like this, this man, who is clearly an upstanding citizen who did what we would encourage most citizens to do in any other state, they should really think about picking up and moving, Be, becoming pilgrims, go to another state, you know, if you look around the country, if people from California would move to Nevada, people from Minnesota moved to Wisconsin, people from New York moved to Pennsylvania, um, you know, we could take this country back. Um, I just don't think at some point uh, arguing over the, the squabbles or, of a decaying and corrupt administration and state like California, I just don't think that's going to pan out in the long term. Maybe it's time to move. Maybe it's time to become uh, what, what we were as original Americans, pilgrims.
2: You know that's well said. Um, we're talking to Chris Dorr, executive director of the of the Ohio Gun Owners. Last question for you: There were two intruders in this particular situation. Um, we have seen, of course, many, many, many examples of three and and and, and even more intruders uh, trying to because most most of these most of these intruders are cowards and they're thugs and they don't like to go one on one with people. They like to overwhelm people. What does that tell you about the fact that the president of the United States continues to say no one should need more than a six-shooter? If you need more than six, if you're that bad of a shot that you can't hit somebody with six shots, what what if there's two? What if there's three? And, of course, as you know, as a shooter— and, and, you know, particularly if you're not super experienced shooter, oh, yeah. the passion, the adrenaline of the moment, you, you are not necessarily accurate as you defend yourself and your family. If you're not spot on center mass with every single trigger pull, um, you know, you're in serious trouble. They don't want people to have magazines with 10, with 15, with 17 rounds or at least Biden right. and his people don't. That Doesn't the, the multiple intruder? examples that we see like this just completely refute that nonsense about how many how many rounds you're allowed to have.
1: I think it does when in in situations like that when the adrenaline is squirting out of your ears um and everything is on the line and you know why you're taking the actions you are you know those kids that kid behind that closed door the wife the nanny you know why you're doing what you're doing but uh, it's got to be a very intense situation, so yeah, I want that guy to have like a chest rig uh, with an AR SBR in his hands in those in those in in, in those moments. Um, but he had what he had. He took the actions that he did. I can only commend him. But again, it's important to remember we're talking about criminals, killer criminals here. I uh, don't like it when this guy gets attacked by two two thugs. But imagine what happens when you've got. 50 um, members of a of a tyrannical government coming after you. So and that gets us back all the way to what I said on previous shows. That's what the Second Amendment is all about. Right. It's a final check and balance on tyrannical government as, uh, and one of the side benefits is you get to defend your family against thugs like this in the meantime.
2: You know, nobody likes to think about that as being possible. It's one of those things where, we're like, oh, that would never happen here. Yeah, we know we had to do it back in 1775 and 1776 because, but, I mean, come on. Those days are gone. The government isn't going to turn against us and come after us in such ways. People yeah. think it can't happen until it happens, right? And, and you know, and, and truthfully, not that I wanted anybody that was a J-6 defendant who had their door smashed in by, you know, 12 FBI agents backed up by SWAT Uh, at 3 a.m. so that they could uh, search their their computers and so forth. Not that I want them to open fire on them, but, Chris, the government has shown that they will be tyrannical and they will take away people's rights and people have the right to defend themselves.
1: I couldn't agree with that more. And all we have to do, again, to look back, you know, people, it's hard for us. We've lived a life of largesse as Americans, pretty much unprecedented in human history. It's hard for us to grasp this idea that a government could become so tyrannical that it could turn on its own citizens. But we don't have to look far back in history. The the 20th century, 60 million innocent people worldwide, at a minimum, were murdered by their governments. And our founding fathers knew that. That's why they put it right there after the First Amendment. They put the Second Amendment there uh, to make sure that You know, our government would never even entertain the idea. Well, it looks like they're entertaining the idea now.
2: There you go. Yep, you're exactly right. Chris Doerr, uh, Executive Director of Ohio Gun Owners. Chris, keep up the great work. Keep informing people. Keep fighting for our rights. Uh, we need them, and hopefully this uh, gentleman in California will either get his, uh, his uh, concealed carry permit back or and maybe file a lawsuit against the, the uh, department in order to stop others from going through the same thing, or as you said, become a pilgrim and move. Find another place to live because uh, he's got to do something.
1: You bet. Thanks a lot for having me.
2: Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. Uh, that's Chris Dore. It's 10:50 on AM 1420. The Answer. Chris is our last guest of the day. We went uh, back to back to back <clears throat> with Jim Jordan. And Linda Harvey and Chris Dor but we now have time for you at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. We've covered a lot of ground. You want to talk about the gun story? You want to talk about the education story? You want to talk about uh, uh, any one of the issues that we talked about with uh, Jim Jordan, including the J six tapes and what you want to have happen there? All of that is on the table. Uh, the last hour of the program is still to come. I want you to be a part of it at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, it is uh, 10.54. We've got a few minutes here before the top of the hour. We have a full hour, well, not a full hour, three quarters of an hour to go as well. And we welcome your phone calls at 216-901-0945, 888 We had a lot of guests and a lot to talk about uh, today. <clears throat> so I welcome uh, your thoughts on any and all of it. I want to start with with you. We've already talked about this with some of the guests, including Jim Jordan with the J6 tapes. You have seen some of them, I am assuming. Some of them are simply grotesque, including, now you know that I have been a backer and a supporter of police and the work that they do for my entire radio career, certainly. I I, I mean, I've made a point of, of advocating for police. I will always have a special place and I will always air on the side of cops, I will give the benefit of the doubt to people are willing to run toward gunfire when everybody else runs away from it. People are willing to put their lives on the line to protect me, to protect my family, to protect uh, our our businesses. Those who are willing to do that to me have my utmost respect and somebody will have to do something egregiously bad if there weren't a badge for me to condemn. The Capitol Police Finds itself among those. There are videos now that have been released because of the January 6th tapes being released of Capitol Police officers firing live rounds into peaceful crowds of people without warnings, without warnings being given.